coming up on Pass the Secret Sauce. So most business owners, and myself included, decide literally overnight that they're going to sell their company. Mm -hmm. I think 90% of our transactions are like that. And by not preparing in advance, you do leave money on the table. It it allows, when you prepare in advance, and I'm not talking years, like five-year exit strategy. I'm talking like six to 12 months, right? Okay. Allows you some time to clean up your books and records. So books and records, your accounting is very important to a buyer and not just the buyer, but the banker that's going to finance the deal. Yeah. Um, so making sure they're consistent across year to year that you're removing a bunch of those personal expenses that maybe shouldn't be in there. And you're just, you're just showing like a clean history for a buyer. The other thing is removing yourself as the owner, like kind of firing yourself. So mm-hmm. removing yourself, the more you can remove yourself from day-to-day responsibilities and sit more in like the CEO role, the more your company's worth. So if you have that runway to prepare over time, you can hire, put people in place, train people to take over some of the delegation items you're going to give them that might be pre-existing. So those are the two biggest things that I see drive value and decrease value. And they're solved fairly easily if you give yourself some time in advance to get those things done. Welcome to the show. I'm Matt Shields. On Pass the Secret Sauce, we unscramble the life stories, skills, and secrets from the most wicked smart minds and interesting people to uncover their experience and recipes for success that will help you get an edge on your own life. My goal is to help you rein in on the chaos that life throws at us by learning from other high achievers. If you're new to the show, we have episodes with founders, CEOs, investors, and leaders. So if you like to learn and are motivated to improve your life, then kick back and listen to our guests pass their secret sauce. Today on Pass the Secret Sauce, we have Jessica Falkovich, who is the founder of Exit Factor. What Exit Factor does is they are basically a business broker. They will help you either sell your company or if you're interested in purchasing a company, they can also help with that. So we get into a lot of the things that people do wrong and do right when they are on either side of that equation. So Jessica tells us about you know how to set up your company for success so that you can maximize the value if you're interested in selling and then also on the flip side if you're interested in buying a property or I should buying a business they also will help you make sure that you're doing all of your due diligence and understanding you know that business so that again you know exactly what it is that you are purchasing they help with the financing they help with basically that entire transaction so really really interesting obviously the goal when you're building a business is to go ahead and and sell it at some point and exit factor helps you do exactly that enjoy today's episode of past the secret sauce with Jessica Falkovich. It was moving pieces. So it was, it was funny. I was actually just talking to my mom about this today because she's living with us temporarily right now. And we, there's three of us. So I'm one of uh, three daughters and we are always involved in multiple sports activities, whatever. So it was rotating who would be home for dinner that night and which parent would be with another at a ballet recital or a soccer game. And, you know, the only time we sat down as a family was at my grandmother's dinner table every Sunday mm-hmm. night. Oh, wow. You guys had dinner every Sunday night, huh? What, what yeah, were some my, favorites? Yeah. So my grandfather was Italian. My grandmother was um, Polish, but we say she was the best 
Polish Italian cook we've ever met. So her, <laughs> yeah, her meatballs and her Italian sauce are famous and still famous to this day. She passed down the recipe to us. So that was by far like our favorite night. Was Very cool. Night. Very yeah. cool. I, I actually just, just this past weekend, but I can remember my grandmother used to make apple strudel and she would mm. take her, take her dining room table and make the thinnest dough that you have ever seen before in your life. And there's a restaurant here that apparently there's like a 93 year old woman who's pretty well doing the exact same thing. So I told my girlfriend, we got to go, we got to go check it out and see how totally. she compares to, to grandma. So but no, that's that's great. That's great that you have those those types of uh, those type of memories. Now, were you entrepreneurial growing up at all? Were you you know, always looking to to create something or make a buck or anything like that? Did you have any of those? No. No, I didn't. And it was funny. I, I've talked to my parents a lot about this because my grand my grandfather was actually an entrepreneur, and my dad saw the ups and downs he went through. Mm-hmm. So my dad grew up. He's he was in education all of his life. So he grew up instilling us get a good job nice and secure 401k plan. So, so that was kind of how I was raised. And then I said like the entrepreneurial gene must skip the generation. Um, Cause once I got in my twenties, I was like, dad, this whole secure thing is not working for me. I'm going to go do my own thing. And he's like, yeah. You're just like my father. So <laughs> that's great. Yeah. So w- what were some of those first things that you did? What did you, I guess, not like about the secure thing and then, you know, what propelled you to, to want to create your own thing? Yeah. So I worked in corporate for the first few years of my career and I ended up working for a a large commercial real estate development company in Aspen, Colorado. Long story how I got out there, but you know, that's, that's where I ended up in 2009. And we, it was a big, big development we were working on. We were funded by Lehman brothers and a, a bank that just happened to get nationalized by the German government in October of 2008. It was really bad oh, wow. timing. Yeah. I'd say. Um, <laughs> so, so that was when like the whole security bubble blew up for me because it was some CEO in New York, just sitting in a boardroom that had to make decisions. And I was a name on the list, right. Yeah. And just get crossed off. And so that was kind of the realization for me as 24 at the time when I found out we were, it, it was both me and my husband working with the same company. We were both mm-hmm. getting laid off and he also grew up in it. He grew up in an entrepreneurial family and that's, that was kind of it for us. So we did, I mean, we did a bunch of brainstorming before we landed on our first business. I think like our first idea was like, and it sounded so dumb at the time, but like, let's make some type of like website application that allows people to track their food and workouts. And we're like, Oh, that'll never work. No one will ever do that. Yeah. And now there's like a million of them. Exactly. Right? Exactly. <laughs> but yeah. So, so, so you guys set out to do this together. I mean, you, you mm-hmm. both said, okay, we're done with corporate America. We're done with working for anybody, you know, let's, let's go ahead and, and do this. So what were, so what was the first thing, you know, you said that you, you had the idea for the app or the website, did you go and do that? Or what was the first thing that you guys actually jumped into? No, we actually, so we started a wine retail business in Naples, Florida. So we went from cold and snowy in Aspen to beach in Naples. Mm-hmm. And our friends had a successful wine store in Aspen and we wanted to live on the beach and we're like, cool, we'll sell wine in a beach town. And that was about as much thought went into it. Um, <laughs> so I love it. <laughs> yeah. So it was called Decanid and um, we, we started as a retailer and then we grew into online wine sales and in the luxury market. So we started selling luxury wine to collectors throughout the US, Canada, mm-hmm. and Hong Kong. And we had the business for about three years before we sold it. Okay. And, and so that was that your first, I guess, opportunity to learn how to sell a company at that point? And, and yeah. how did that go? Yeah. How did that go? <laughs> 
financially it was great, right? So yeah. we we ended up with a, a very good financial transaction. We got almost, I think, 90% of our cash down. So I never complained about that. But it was a tumultuous experience because we, we I we had no idea what we were doing. I literally I came back to Colorado for my birthday in March, went skiing, and I was like, I don't want to live in Florida anymore. Came back to Florida, listed the business for sale. I think two days later with a broker, not a whole lot went into it. I had no idea what I was doing. Mm -hmm. And our broker did bring that good financial buyer, but basically left them on our doorstep after that. So we had to figure out due diligence on ourselves, uh, by ourselves, how to train and transition. We came up with that plan all by ourselves. And that's kind of when a light bulb went off in my head that you know, there has to be better support for business owners than the service we were getting. Mm -hmm, so, mm -hmm. and, and so is that, is that where you started the next company it was because of that transition? Okay. Yeah. So then how did you, I guess, how did you start advertising yourself you know, sort of in this new niche, you know, you, you obviously went through, you, you had this experience, you saw the need, what was your next step to start building that business? Yeah. So when we moved back to Denver, we actually bought our business brokerage office. It was, it was pretty defunct, but there had a, an old customer list, some old referral partner lists, things like that. So we started reaching out to those people first and foremost, and then we really hit networking pretty hard in the beginning. So I, I joined a bunch of different networking groups from like the traditional BNIs to some more business coaching groups. I actually ended up in an uh, organization called Entrepreneurs Organization, which I'm still in. That's Yo, been yeah. a great source of networking for me. But that was our primary source of just building our network. We knew, I knew no one in Denver. Mm -hmm. So started from scratch. And that's really how we started building the company is just connecting and relationships. Okay. And, and you, you made a, a comment in our, in our, our setup to this interview about growth through acquisition. Obviously you acquired a, a business and that's, you know, how you got your foothold in, but can you explain a little bit more uh, about using that sort of as a strategy to be able to grow your, your own business? Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. And, and it was a topic I wasn't really introduced to until I got into the industry and I saw some other entrepreneurs do it, but instead of growing your business traditionally through mm -hmm. advertising and networking, like I just talked about, you can also go and find competitors or businesses similar to yours that might offer a complimentary service or product and acquire them and buy them and, mm -hmm. and merge them together, just like a lot of larger companies do. So that's, that's actually been our strategy. So we partnered with a franchise brand in business brokerage, and we started by buying just one office or territory for our business brokerage office. And then soon after that, we acquired the rest of the, of the offices in the Denver area and then expanded through Colorado. And then we just did an acquisition in Dallas and Las Vegas as well. So, wow. And, and so why Dallas and why Las Vegas? Did you do any type of research into, you know, those specific markets and was there something that was drawing you to those markets? Yeah. Dallas is, is an interesting market. It's obviously it's growing so fast. Just the migration into Texas is phenomenal. And it, it, it kind of is similar to what we saw in Colorado when we first got started out here back in 2012 and 13. It's just a, an influx of people and businesses. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's good for a small business. So we, we like that market. Texas is also very small business friendly. Las Vegas was actually different. One of our key employees and one of our leadership team members decided he wanted to go start his own 
office, but he wanted to do it together. So that's actually a partnership we're doing with him. It was a lifestyle choice. His daughters mm-hmm. are moving out to Las Vegas and he wants to be closer to them. So cool. Very cool. Yeah. So you started this, this company and it's, it's obviously grown very, very well. What are the types of things that you're helping your customers with? Like, what are, what are some of the common things that you're always going over with your customers? Yeah, I think, I mean, primarily, so we're like, we're a business brokers, like realtors for businesses, right? Mm-hmm. So we're primarily helping them get the business sold. That's what we're hired to do. We're hired to make sure we find a buyer, close the transaction. The, the other thing is always around valuation. So we do a lot of valuations before someone's getting ready for sale to help them determine what their, what their business is worth or what mm-hmm. they would sell for. And then we also have like a prep to sell program where we can help increase that valuation over time. Hey, it's Matt. If you've been listening to my podcast for a while, you know that I've been involved in the multifamily real estate realm for a while. It's something that I truly, truly enjoy, and I wanted you, my listeners, to be the first to know about something new coming out. We're calling it the MultiWiser Deal Room. It's a community of individuals just like you who want to get wise about multifamily real estate investing, developing, and even owning and managing your own complexes. You'll be able to network with people from all sections of the industry, from investors looking for deals, project managers looking for investors, real estate brokers, property management agencies, contractors, remodeling experts, finance gurus, you name it, we're going to have it in the network. I've been at this for a while, and I know it takes a community to make just one of these projects happen. And the MultiWiser Deal Room is my attempt to shorten your learning curve and get you plugged into leading experts fast who can help you close your own deals. We start off with a video glossary of over 150 commonly used terms to increase your understanding and help you get moving. Also included in the community are training videos to help you be successful, like how to put together a pitch deck, build a team, and so much more. We're going to have live interactive Zoom calls where you can ask your questions and learn from people who are actually out there in the industry doing it. For more information, go to multiwiser.com. And then the last component is on the buy side. So when when business owners come to us and they ask us, like, how do I grow through acquisition or, you know, I'm... I'm I just sold my last company. I'm looking for something new, you know, mm-hmm. how do I buy? And, and we help them through that process of finding a business to buy and closing the deal. So, okay. And, and are you typically, actually, I guess look, there's two questions here. When you're, when you're going through and evaluating a company's worth and, and establishing what that, that price should be, how is that done? How, what does that process look like? Like, you know, when we're going through and evaluating a apartment that we're going to, to purchase, we, it's called the T12. We get the last 12 months worth of income, you know, bills, uh, you know, whatever it might be, all the expenses. And, you know, we basically evaluate what the property should be worth based on that. Is it the same thing when you're buying a business? Is that, is that typically how it works? It's actually pretty similar. So typically we'll look at the last three years of financial history and we're trying to calculate an earnings number called seller's discretionary earnings. And the simplistic math is it's basically a function of net profit plus what the owner's taking home through the company, salary benefits, things like that. Mm-hmm. And then once we have that number, we're applying a multiple to those earnings based on industry trends, where the company's located in, and then a bunch of qualitative factors like how fast have they grown? What does the owner do? And we use comp reports and private sales data to ter- determine what that multiple is. So okay. similar process, you know. 
Just different numbers we're looking at. Yep. Yep. No, that makes sense. And typically when someone's purchasing a, a company, what is their ROI expectation? Is it, you know, two years, five years? Is there any type of, I guess, guideline that you typically see? Yeah, it's a great question. It's actually, so it's a function of the multiple, right? So explain to sellers that the multiple of the earnings is actually the buyer's ROI. So it's like, how fast will the buyer pay it back? So if you pay a two times multiple, you'll pay pay yourself back in two years for that acquisition. So the multiples we see in small business range the, actually the average of all small business sales is at 2.21 times. And I just pulled that for the last, you know, since 2012 and then cutting it off on March 1st, 2020, because the market mm-hmm. got a little weird then, mm-hmm. but the range is one to six times. So it'd be one to six years for the buyer to receive their payback. So it's, it's actually a pretty good deal if you're buying a business that you can have, you know, that quick of a payback on on your investment. Yeah, no, absolutely. What are some of the, I guess, the challenges that you see a lot of companies running into that, you know, when they, when they're thinking of selling their company, what are some of the common things that they do wrong or they don't understand or they need to fix? What are some of those things? Yeah, I think it's, it's always a function of not preparing in advance So most business owners and myself included decide literally overnight that they're going to sell their company. I think 90% of our transactions are like that. And by not preparing in advance, you do leave money on the table. It it allows it when you prepare in advance, and I'm not talking years, like five-year exit strategy. I'm talking like six to 12 months, right? Okay allows you some time to clean up your books and records. So books and records, your accounting is very important to a buyer and not just the buyer, but the banker that's going to finance the deal. Um, yeah. So making sure they're consistent across year to year that you're removing a bunch of those personal expenses that maybe shouldn't be in there. And you're just, just showing like a clean history for a buyer. The other thing is removing yourself as the owner, like kind of firing yourself. So Mm -hmm. removing yourself, the more you can remove yourself from day-to-day responsibilities and sit more in like the CEO role, the more your company's worth. So if you have that runway to prepare over time, you can hire, put people in place, train people to take over some of the delegation items you're going to give them that might be pre-existing. So those are the two biggest things that I see drive value and decrease value. And they're solved fairly easily if you give yourself some time in advance to get those things done. Yeah, yeah. And you you touched on the financing portion there. You know, you guys obviously sold a company and rolled it into something else. Are you typically seeing, are people coming in and paying cash for things? Or is there a financing element to all of them? Is it, you know, I'm going to put up so much money and then the rest of it's going to be financed? How does that typically work? Yeah, almost all deals are financed at this point. So, I mean, you really have three major groupings of how you can pay for a business. One, cash, like a buyer can bring cash to a table, but just like any other investment, they're not going to put all their cash in one bucket. So it's pretty rare we see an all cash deal. The second option is called seller financing. So that's where basically the seller becomes the bank. And there's there's different ways we can structure that in ter- terms of a promissory note or something called an earnout. But that's part of almost every deal. Sometimes it's a smaller component, like 10%. And sometimes if we can't get the third component, which is bank financing, it's a larger percentage. Mm-hmm. And then the, the last is, is bank financing. So there's actually financing programs through banks supported by the Small Business Administration to acquire businesses. 
So using the SBA guarantee programs, specifically the 7A and 504 loans, you are able to get bank loans to acquire businesses. And those are typically 70 or 80% loan to value. So okay. like, you know, they're pretty, they're pretty great incentives. Actually, where we're sitting today in 2021, the SBA even has incentives for business buyers to spur the economy. So they'll pay six months of your first six months of your payments if you close by October 1st and they're waiving and reducing fees. It's, it's, they're really great loan options. Interesting. So, so basically if I was interested in purchasing a company, you know, I could potentially get into that company with you know, only putting in 20% of whatever I'm you know, purchasing the company for. What, what, what types of companies are you typically brokering for? Or is it like, I, I guess what industries I should say? Yeah, we do a little bit of everything. I think it does it does tend to, you know, look at the, what economy you're in. So in, in both Colorado and Texas, the, the construction industry is thriving, right? So we do a lot of construction, trade. We do a lot of B2B service-based businesses too. We've done actually a lot of commercial janitorial companies lately because they, they thrived through the pandemic and they've done yeah. really well. And then there's a component, like we sell a lot of retail and restaurant, and there's just a lot of turnover in those industries. So no matter what market you're in, there's always retail and restaurant trading. But we do a little bit of everything. Funny enough, we're in Colorado. The, the only real industry we don't play in is cannabis. Um, but you know, other than that, we've probably done a deal in that industry. Interesting. So what are some of the, I guess, do you have a range or a a uh, yeah, I guess a range of what the companies are selling for typically that you, that you uh, represent. Yeah. So that's where actually the, the niches come in more in business brokerage and investment banking. So you've, you've three major markets. You have the main street market, which is businesses that trade for under 5 million. Then you get into the middle market, which is 5 million to five actually goes up to a billion dollars. And then you have the multinational market, which is over a billion. So our firm plays in what's called the main street to lower middle market, about $5 million to like $10 million in transaction value or business okay. sale price. And then above that, um, you'd be dealing with investment bankers who represent those transactions. So boutique investment bankers on the, the lower middle market side, when you get into multinational, you're built, you're dealing with big wall street investment mm -hmm. banking firms. Mm -hmm. So Got it. Yeah. And if, if I wanted to qualify for, uh, you know, an SBA loan or some of the, those types of loans, is it, I mean, is it dependent on credit or how do they, how do they go about, you know, qualifying me for that loan? Or is it, if I have the 20%, whatever that may be, I'm, I basically would be able to get that loan. Yeah. So it depends on the bank. So the bank is still lending the money. The mm -hmm. SBA is just providing this guarantee. Like if I decide not to pay my SBA loan, the government will actually refund my bank for that guarantee oh, percentage. So it's still an individual decision by the bank themselves, which, I mean, you know, in real estate, they're, 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 yeah. Uh, qualifications vary, right? Yep. So like they're, and, and they're going to look at both components. So they're going to look at the buyer. So they'll look at credit history. They'll look at how much money you're putting down, what's your experience, but they're also going to look at the business, which is why I said it was important that the sellers had the fi their financials cleaned up because mm -hmm. they'll look at the business history for the last three years and see were they profitable, how stable was the company, those types of things. And kind of the merge of those two is, is where the credit team will decide whether or not to loan the money. 
there's also, there's some industries that some banks won't touch. And then there's other banks that specialize in that particular industry. So Mm -hmm. if I was thinking of selling one of my companies, what would you say would be the, you know, some of the steps that I should take, you know, right now, obviously you sort of set a timeline six to 12 months, you know, start getting things going, but what are some of those things that, you know, we should be doing? And again, obviously the books, you know, getting them in order, what are some of the other things that we should be making sure that we're, we're checking off the list as we're moving toward that, that goal? Yeah. I mean, I I think the first thing is, is if you can about 12 months out, get a good understanding of what the business is worth. We talked about how it can be a good deal for buyers, but oftentimes sellers are are a little surprised about the valuation of their company. So the first thing I say is like 12 months ahead, get a valuation, see where you're sitting at. And if it's agreeable to you in terms of a purchase price, then you're moving forward. If not, then maybe you're working on a plan to increase that valuation over time. So once you have that valuation, you're going to start doing some of the things we talked about, like cleaning up books and records, trying to get yourself out of the operator seat and more into the owner's seat. There are some ways you can increase value. So making sure that, you know, you have some type of recurring revenue in the business or a stable client base that's going to continue to do business with you. And we actually, we have a course called Prep to Sell that walks everybody through these like value drivers. But once you're about three months out, that's when you're going to start hiring a team. So you're going to start talking to business brokers, attorneys, accountants, and it might be some of the same people if you've worked with in the past, and it might be somebody else or someone new, specifically like legal transactional law is very specific. And not a lot of attorneys have handled small business deals before. So that might be where you need a new attorney that you're going to vet instead of your general business counsel. So once you have your team in place, then, then about a month ahead, that's when you start sitting down with everybody. Okay, let's put the marketing package together. Let's decide how we're going to go to market so you're ready to go. Mm-hmm. And, and then on the opposite side of that, if I wanted to purchase a company, are there resources that I can go and see what businesses are for sale in an area or in the country? And what are some of those things that I should be lining up? you know, besides my, my wallet, yeah. <laughs> what else should I be lining up to be in a best position to be able to, to purchase something? Yeah, there's so, there's so many great resources available. So to go search for businesses, you can go to bizbysell.com is the, the biggest marketplace for businesses. All, all the brokers also have one, like ours is tworld.com. So you can search all of our listings nationwide. So I, I say sometimes it's good to window shop first and just see like what you're getting into, right? We don't disclose any of the business names on these listings. So you'll never know exactly what business it is until you sign a non-disclosure agreement. But you can still kind of shop and see, Hey, an HVAC company is trading for two and a half times earnings in Colorado, right? Mm-hmm. Or this, this broker seems to have the most listings in my target industry. So that's usually the first step. The second step when you're getting more serious would be educating yourself about the process and putting a team around you. So same thing, broker, attorney, banker. So that's when you start having those conversations with bankers in, in your area or bankers you've worked with in the past of trying to figure out what would be, if you find a good business, what would be your loan capacity? So you, you can determine what your purchase price and your budget is. Yeah, no, that's, that's, this is interesting. Now, do you guys have uh, businesses that are for sale all over or do you focus in the Colorado, you know, Dallas, Las Vegas area? Yeah. So our office specifically, we focus in, in those areas mainly. We have a couple other that are outside those areas, but we're part of a network where we co-broker 
deals across the country. So I think right now, like total, our offices have about uh, 260 businesses for sale, but our nationwide, I think our inventory is got in the thousands. I I don't know. I'd be, I'd be misquoting if I said how many, but I know it's in the thousands. Yeah. Yeah, that is great. That is great. If if people wanted to learn more about you guys, your company on either the buy or sell side, I don't know if there's different resources to be able to go to, what would be the best way to to get in touch with you guys? Yeah, I mean, you could go to my website. It's jessicafiakovich.com. And then from there, we've got links to our, our business brokerage side, our buy side services, and, and even some educational things that we have. Like I've, I've got a podcast as well that talks about deals. So you can find all that information there. Very cool. So what do you, like, what types of deals do you talk about on the show? Is it the actual, do you, do you actually interview the sellers or buyers or how, 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 what's the show content like? Yeah. Sometimes we interview sellers or buyers. So we have, we have two show formats. Sometimes we'll interview sellers, buyers, or partners you would use in a deal. And we'll walk mm-hmm. through deal examples or takeaways, a lot of the stuff we've been talking about today. And the other format is when my co-host Andy and I literally just go through a lesson. So we just put together actually a series called everything you need to know to buy a business. And it's a three-part series of all of our tips and tricks. Oftentimes our transactions are confidential. So rather than breaching that confidentiality, Andy and I might tell a story about mm-hmm. a deal that happened to John, right? Yeah. Instead yeah. of bringing the real John on the show. And so we tell, we teach a lot of lessons through those third-party stories. What would you say is one of the the strangest occurrences or strangest things, you know, from your from your past that might have happened to John? Oh God, there's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> you know, sometimes I'm like, I have to be like, how how much can I tell this story without breaching confidentiality? We had, so one of these, one of the, one of, and there's, there's lots like, and, and these are, these are like the more fun parts of business brokerage. Like the success stories are great, but some odd stories are great too. Yeah. So we were putting a great deal together in Colorado. The seller was happy. The buyer was happy and the buyer hadn't toured the, the facility and we had a full price offer on it. And he was so excited and financing was lined up and he goes for the tour and he calls our brokers like, I'm out. And we're like, wait, wait, what, what happened? <laughs> like, everything was great. You guys were singing Kumbaya. And he's like, I mean, the place is a mess. There's, there's a sink in a refrigerator in the front yard. And we're like, wait, what? <laughs> and the seller had decided he was going to clean out his warehouse the weekend before and literally left a, a fridge and a sink and like some other discarded materials in the front yard along the highway, pulling up to the business. Yeah. So we had to, you know, go and help and straighten things up and, you know, got the buyer back on board. But, you know, so now we, we, we now it's in our checklist going into sale. We tell sellers to make sure everything's neat and organized, including the kitchen sink, (laughs) which is kind of an internal joke, but you know, there's, there's things like that, that happen, you know, there's, there's sad stories too. And, and there's, there's great stories. We have a lot of a lot of our clients have built really successful businesses and owned them for 20, 30, 40 years. They've been like mm-hmm. another kid for them. And to watch them be able to sell and finally take some time off and, you know, spend time with their grandkids, travel to Europe, maybe not this year, but next year. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Those, those are, those are like why we do this too. No, that's cool. That's very cool. Yeah. I've always, like I said, I, I'm a huge fan of entrepreneurialism and, you know, this is just, you know, the end goal and, you know, bringing another entrepreneur up in the ranks. This has been fun. This has been a lot of fun. I, uh, I, you know, I, I love, again, I love growing business and, and, you know, understanding that end goal. So thank you for, 
sharing some of your insights on you know how to reach that end goal with business. And actually, one one last thing too. Yeah. When you guys are working with sellers of of companies, how old would you say the average company is that you're working with? You know, say I just started a company. When when should I look to start selling it? I mean, is it you know, can I start something and six months later, go ahead and sell it? Or you know, what would be the average, would you say? Yeah, well, the average is kind of high right now. And that's because we're in what we're calling the seller tsunami. So mm-hmm. more than 50% of all small businesses are owned by baby boomers. And that's the majority of the market right now. And baby boomers over their lifetime have owned uh, 1.2 businesses, right? So the businesses okay. we're selling are over, I think the average is like 10 or 12 years right, oh, wow. right now. But that's not to say you can't sell a business in its infancy stage. When we look down to Gen X and millennials, that research actually shows us that those generations on average are going to own eight businesses over their lifetime. Oh my God. Wow. So they're much more apt to like start something, sell it, buy something, sell it. So we've sold companies that are six months old and we sold companies that are 40 years old. The average age right now is 10 to 12, but that's more because of that demographic that we're dealing with right now. Got it. Got it. No, this is, yeah, this is interesting. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Again, thank you for all the insight. And uh, I look forward to hearing more about you guys and, and uh, potentially having you back on the show and we can dive into, you know, potentially setting up to sell some companies at some point. So no, again, I, I love it. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me on the show, Matt. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening. And remember, pass the secret sauce.